0: Did anyone buy anything on Amazon Prime? Whatever it was, it just happened. You did? I did not personally, but my husband bought
1: several things for the house and they all showed up yesterday and I was like, okay.
0: (laughs) I glanced at it yesterday when there was like an hour and a half left. Yeah. They had some different ways of organizing it this time, like the top 100, it was supposed to be a curated list. Yeah. But after you got past the first... 20 things. I don't think this is what everyone in the world wants. I think, I think they try to say like this, you're the most popular 100 items to consider, but then it started getting pretty specific to things that only my family is probably, it might be on our top hundred list, <laughs> but it's not on the world's top hundred list or North America for sure.
1: They know your shopping habits. Yep. I can tailor those lists.
2: I did go and look and see if anything on my, cause I keep a list, you know, was on sale. So I went and ran through the stuff that I've been kind of watching just to make sure Mm -hmm. nothing was on sale and it wasn't, so I didn't buy anything.
0: I mean, (laughs) some of the Apple products, which normally don't go on sale were on sale and Peloton bikes, if you don't have yours yet, 15% off, but nothing just like, I've got to have that for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. We ready to get into it. Let's
1: go.
0: Yep. Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at do Welcome to episode 244. I'm Kevin Oakley. And with me today is Julie Jarnigan and Becca Thomas.
2: Hi. Hello.
0: We only have a couple more weeks left in what I would consider to be, uh, what's, what's the term? It's Like the year's over for yeah. marketers are yeah. still going to have a lot to do. And there's going to be a lot of projects and, and things to accomplish. But in terms of creating traffic that has the time and interest to, to convert into sales that that are going to happen before the end of the year, this is the home stretch. So that's good. Yeah. Stay focused. Yeah. <laughs> Keep pushing. <laughs> if you haven't already started kind of your final push, I guess this is just a reminder to have the conversation with everyone of probably between now and the first week of November. And then after that, you're going to need to start. Well, you don't have to, but you probably should start scaling back ad spend because the consumer starts... One way to say it would be hibernating, but I just keep coming back to this idea that I've talked about a couple different times of our industry is unique in the amount of time that we have to be thinking into the future. Land gets identified three to five years out from it before it ever is going to be sold. Typically Um, inventory that we're going to build a lot of news articles about all these poor, Retailers, they have to order stuff from China and it might show up two or three months later. And I'm thinking, have you home builders have to wait a lot longer than that to yeah. create inventory or to get the inventory? But also, from the consumer's perspective, they have to think further into the future to find our product interesting. And the broader macroeconomic environment is causing consumers as a whole to think less about the future. We've talked about that before. Because they don't think the future is going to be very good. So they just don't want to think about it. We ignore things that don't make us feel good. But this is the time of year in every year where the consumer starts to think to themselves, I'm going to focus more on what's right ahead because of the holidays. And we just stop thinking about the year to come as a majority. Certainly, some people never stop thinking about the future, but that's where we are. And that means that. The first trick that we all pulled out of our hats when the market turned was, ha I can make traffic appear. That's relatively qualified and interested. As long as you're willing to spend the money, you know, we can make it happen. And now what we're starting to see different by market by area is that that's starting to no longer be the case as the consumers sh- shift their attention into just this kind of short period in the future. So... With that said, let's get into story time. There it is. Becca, you want to go first?
1: Yeah. So I got a request from a builder to do some ads for a community. And I sent them over the ad with kind of broad pricing and really, really pretty pictures. And the response I got back was, well... We are going to need to dumb down those pictures a little bit. (laughs) And um, it got me thinking, the market has really shifted. So where we kind of have to let people dream a little bit with the pictures. So you can show a little nicer pictures and then still have your your round pricing. And by that, I mean to the nearest 100000 so that people can kind of dream And it seems like it could possibly be attainable, even though they know that it's probably too good to be true. But since there's less people in the market looking and there's less people reaching out, you kind of got to open it up a little bit to get those people interested enough to call you. And then you kind of talk to them about reality.
0: 110% yes. Sales and sales management... Are definitely still feeling cautious about consumer expectations and having uncomfortable conversations. And we totally understand because you've gone through now almost two and a half years of uncomfortable conversations and people not getting what they expected. But at the same time, you know, I've used the analogy of speed marriage is sometimes what people try to have accomplished versus speed dating. But especially in this market, we have to date. And that means give ourselves time with the customer to overcome objection by objection and to explain and educate and encourage and all those things. I mean, if I had met Melanie when I did and I just started out with our first conversation by saying, hey, um, two months ago, I went into hiding for two and a half weeks because of my crazy ex-girlfriend showed (laughs) up and wouldn't leave without being escorted by the cops. So do you wanna go get some donuts? So that would have been a completely transparent conversation. And the four Oakley Rugrats, as we know them today, would not exist because we would never have gotten married. So you have to position yourself in the best light. That's part of marketing's responsibility. And I think, to your point, Beck, we've absolutely gone to the other end of the extreme on the seesaw. And like, nope, that house is too pretty. No, you can't say low 400s because by the time you put in the options people want, we're going to be at 445. And that's not low, Kevin, that's mid. There's no, there's no government agency that's going to fine you for saying low 400s. If your average price point or, or your starting price point is in the 440s, that is actually by definition, the lower half, the midpoint's what 450 last I checked for, I mean, someone's going to tell me I'm wrong, probably in the email, but that's okay. So yeah, push, push the limit because right now you can't complain about lead quality or uncomfortable conversations when you don't have anyone to talk to. I don't know which rule that is, but I would say rule number two, at least maybe rule number one, Julie, any, anything about that ring true to you? Yeah,
2: no, it re- yeah. It reminds me of back in the day, one of our big battles was um, the salespeople wanted us to put a sign on every single upgrade in the model home that said, this is an upgrade. This is an upgrade, this oh, is yeah. an upgrade. And um, it was a constant conversation and a constant fight. And it's kind of the same thing. Like let's not ruin the the beauty and let them dream and then have a conversation. Um, sometimes they think that the doing that is going to solve all their problems and make their job easier, but. It, it's not the case.
1: Nope. Right. In recent history, we're so used to having, we need less leads. We need more qualified leads, whittle them down to the very best because that's all we can handle. And I think the mindset is slow to shift. I mean, I know we are shifting, but I think shifting to just approximate is good enough to get people in the door. Yeah, you it's can't. Hard.
0: To be clear, we're not encouraging or suggesting that anyone lie. No. Or Or do a full on bait and switch. No. But ambiguity, which is just yes. not saying something. No one does it now. Yeah, I don't care how transparent, ESG, whatever your company is. I have yet to see a written description on any house that says giant telephone pole in the backyard. <laughs> True. Not, not happening. And so you just just kind of we talked about the summit first principles, go back to first principles. And what is the first thing we're trying to, what's What's the thing we're trying to accomplish to get leads. Well, another example that got into a little kerfuffle on a call about was a home, a community that only had, I think it was four home sites left. And we were talking about what should the messaging be on that community page, like the, the main headline, because currently it said, you know, final four opportunities. Well, consumers could look at that and think those are the four worst home sites left. And one of the things that we always did at Heartland was when we said there was a certain number that was the final opportunity, we also would always say premier home sites still available. And someone's like, well, these aren't the premier home sites, Kevin. We can't say that. Okay. You got four. Is one of them better than the other three? Yes. Okay. That's the premier one. And that's, I mean, if you think that's going too far, then you probably don't want to be my friend. But in terms of Creating leads for your sales team, that's that's an okay message to send. Yep. It's Comparison is all about relativity, not the absolute standard. That's how we compare relatively. Julie, what do you got?
2: Yeah. So I was talking to a builder on a call um, this week, and they were talking about something they had kind of started new this year that was more customer experience based and was taking some content and things. And she was like, it's going great. The process good, people like it, we're gonna stop doing it. (laughs) It's like, okay, why? And she's like, we have all these field homes that need to be sold. So they had all this content now that they hadn't been used to needing on all these field homes that are getting completed and they need to sell and it's the end of the year. And so it was just a good reminder that it's a good time now to step back and look at what's on your list and what's on the list of your team members. Make sure we're not doing busy work Make sure we're not doing things that were a priority, but right now we need leads and sales and those things. So it was just a good reminder that just because something is working and good and was a priority at a time, it may not be the priority for the next few months or in this market. So um, I will even confess there are things that I have just stopped doing before to see if anybody noticed. If it's something on your list, this report, this whatever that's taking you hours and it's like, let me stop this for a couple months. And if anybody's like, Hey, where did that report go? Then I will definitely be like, I'm sorry. I'll start back. So don't get fired. I'm just saying I have done this before, but it's a good time to take a look at your list and reassess what the priorities are and what your goals are right now.
0: I love it. I think it's incredibly insightful. And I made a, I made a post on LinkedIn somewhat similar to that this past week because While we do have, I think the Chad Sanchogren replied back that he he wasn't quite sure he agreed, but I think it was just a misunderstanding because we were both using a sentence to describe a relatively big concept. But essentially it was, you know, pain is a signal that you need to change something. Pain can give you clarity on what's important and that focus and, and the purpose. And then that, the purpose gives you the energy to push through and make the change. No one makes a change unless they understand why, or it's forced upon them. And He's like, well, I don't know if you need to, you know, stop doing something or, or, you know, because we have unlimited potential. And I, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with, with his general sentiment. However, the thing that you're going to stop doing, it could, like you're talking about, Julie, in your example, you're stopping doing something that maybe is good, but it's just not Mm -hmm. necessary right now. I think where Chad and I would agree is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that you could stop doing too. That is not even good it's just yes. neutral. It's neutral to negative. you know. I, and that's why I don't mind when people give me a hard time about not knowing all of the latest movies or whatever. It's like, I don't have, when would I watch another movie? Certainly not during a work the work week either. And I'm not knocking you if that's how you escape, but you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can also stop doing in your work life or in your personal life that it's not even, the, the hard decisions are, what do we stop this? That's going okay. Or seems to be good but may not be aligned with the company goals or the immediate needs, but the easy stuff should be what's, what's the easy stuff for me to cut out.
2: Well, and I'm a very task oriented person. So I love to have something on my list and to mark it off and get it done. And I know there's some marketers out there like that too, but that's not necessarily what you need to be doing right now. It's just marking things off (laughs) your list.
0: I love story time is really my favorite. Because it a similar conversation started out on a call with a builder this week where it was all about ads and ad results. And could we, you know, these ads seem to be doing 5% less and could we do make this adjustment to get 8% more? And I was in it too. I was like, yeah, let's figure this out. We talked about it for 10, 12 minutes. And then I glanced back at the markproof proof algorithm and I was like, but you're, you're already on pace to far exceed the needed amount of website activity. If you convert at September ratios. So this shouldn't even really be something that we spend a lot of time on because everything is hinging on, can you get that website activity to convert to a lead or not? And so again, it's something you should do. Maybe you don't even need to stop doing it altogether, but the amount of time or percentage of your time that you're dedicating to it probably should be questioned again. And if you're not certain, ask your boss. <laughs> Sometimes we make it too hard. It's like, it's okay to go back and be like, should I still be doing all these things? For me, I've struck with this idea of innovation right now. And in a good market or an average market, iteration is what I think it's all about. I remember 2008, we made a little bit of money when other builders were going out of business. And so, The CFO at the time, Brian Gillespie, said, I know what our our mantra is going to be, refine in 09. This is all working. We're making a little bit of money. Let's just keep refining things and build on that momentum. And that's what we should be thinking about. That's the Japanese, call it Kaizen, continual improvement. But when the market is tough or treacherous, it's all about innovation versus iteration. And what I mean by innovation is that's when you do break things, and it's also when things get messy. When you innovate, you create, you kick up some dust. You you cause things to be disruptive. You might make a task list like person in your company nervous because you just made something happen that no one was expecting. And I'm not talking about necessarily big innovation, like giant innovations. Usually, are either undertaken in like we're going to come up with an entirely new product line. That's either going to happen. It's cross department. It's going to take a long time. And you're you're having that discussion. Either because times are so good that you feel like you have the margin to do that, or times are so bad that if you don't do that, really bad things are going to start happening. I'm talking about innovating on things that are mostly just within our own world that may or may not have an impact, but we're just so afraid to try. That's the yeah, iteration, it has a lot of great things, but one of the things built into it is. Really small steps that if we fail, it's no big deal. And if we succeed, it's a little its a little bit of a deal. If you can do something to change a call to action or offer the consumer an opportunity to do something that you're not even sure exactly how you'll do well at scale, go ahead and do it and see if two people out of 10,000 visitors want to, want to take advantage of that offering or 200 or 300. Because if 200 or 300 people want to become a lead, or take a next step that you told them you would figure out how to make happen, you'll figure it out. You'll get the resources approved to make it better, smoother, systematized, etc. But we're so nervous right now in a lot of these conversations. People are unwilling to think from an innovation mindset because they're just worried about the what-ifs. Like, what if this is successful? (laughs) It's almost... I don't know. To me, it's just a. I understand why it's hard, but if you need leads, you gotta you gotta start innovating. You're not just gonna get slightly better between now and December.
2: Yeah, I think company culture makes a big difference in this too. That's true. You know, you see a big difference in a builder that they kind of have a culture of let's make a change. Let's make it quickly. Let's see what happens. Let's not freak out if it doesn't work and we have to take a step back. And then you see the builders that, man, they struggle to pull the trigger on on anything. And yeah, you can can see when the market's changing, how much more of a struggle it is for some versus others.
1: You can actually use your innovation budget. I know we Mm -hmm. always... Kind of talk about having a little bit of that, not necessarily on gadgets and and things for content creation, but if you want to try a new type of ad and it's not in the budget, use some of your innovation fund to do a test and see how that works out. If you get positive results, then you can roll it out to more than one neighborhood or...
0: And I'll talk about an extreme case. There's, there's a whole bunch that we've talked about with our builder partners over the last two weeks, but one that uh, Mike threw out on the podcast about make an offer. Maybe it wasn't the podcast. Mm -hmm. It might've been our pulse video. Every, every month we do a video to owners about our, what we're seeing in the market around the country. And he was like, you know, why don't you just eBay it? Like let people add the button that says make an offer. And again, some people get super freaked out by that idea. Some people get really excited but even when they're excited, all the questions came down to these like very specific tactical, how do we, what do we say? I'm like, just make a button that says, mm-hmm. make an offer, take your existing form field and just add an extra field to it that says, what would you like to offer? And just see if anyone pushes it. And we go back to the builder back yeah. in 2020, one of the first to on every single thing, including home sites on every community, they were, I won't say the name of the tool they were using but it was reserve this home site or buy this home and no one pushed it for three and a half months, but they had spent all this time and energy, you know, so that's, those are two, two little examples of what we're talking about here.
1: Yep. Definitely making the sales process easier would help going forward, especially now that there's less sales to test on. So you could test a smaller amount to see how it works and then iterate on that.
0: Yeah. But it's, It's time to innovate because it's just not going to get better. And that's kind of my last part of story time is between now and the end of the year, it is not going to get better. It's not going to get easier. Um, You can't just keep doing the same things and expect a different result. And that's okay. Some builders are, they're already saying, you know what, we're just, we're going to not launch anything until the spring. Even if we could open up a new neighborhood in November or December, we're going to just start a couple homes, start the model, and we'll launch it in February. That's okay too, if that's, if that's the framework, but everyone needs to be on the same page because we are back to full on seasonality. And like I said, at the beginning, this is just the time of year where things start to shift after another week or two, they're already shifting, but it's going to get pretty, pretty different. Now that doesn't mean you can't have a great sales month in November or December. Another builder showed me their market value algorithm, And I was like, wow, how did, how your lead to appointment ratio is 600% so far for the month. They had scheduled, I'm going to make up the numbers, but it was it was like 55 appointments off of 22 leads because they were converting prior leads that they already knew to appointments in that month. And that's perfectly okay. And that's how you smooth out the seasonality. So that's allowed. I'm not saying that we just give up and we're not going to sell homes in December either. We That's absolutely not the case. You can sell just as many homes in December as any other month if you give the team the tools to do that. The last thing is I got a really cool message from someone. Her name's Katie, a video on LinkedIn. She was taking a walk this morning. And at first I was like, this, who knows where this is going to go? You know, getting a LinkedIn video message at 7.30 and eight in the morning. <laughs> um, and But it, she was just saying, hey, I saw a video. I might record a short video and I put it on LinkedIn and Facebook and a couple other places about imposter syndrome. And. Um, I don't even remember what it was about now, but she said, Hey, I saw that video and I'd never really interacted with you before. And I might've seen your picture, but I'd never seen you actually speaking. And then I'm listening to the podcast this morning on my walk. And it's a completely different experience because I see you in my head talking. Now we know this to be true, Steve Pastinelli, And that's why we're big fans of Bomb Bomb and, and all the work that they do and, and we were one of the biggest advocates of using video email and putting a, a name and a face together. And yet it was just a really good encouragement to me of, you should do that a little more often. So I just think it's not... You know, my, my hard part with that is I'd rather people focus on the content than my face. I think there's there's some people who would rather you focus on their face and be memorize who they are than what they're saying. And, and so my bias is, what does it matter if if there's a talking head going along with my thoughts or not? But thank you, Katie. That was, that was kind. And I will do some more of that in the future. Now, a quick word from our supporting partner, Opendoor. Connect your customers with Opendoor and they'll get a preliminary offer within minutes. They close on their home and you close the sale. Plus, you can track the entire process with ease by using your personal custom referral link. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Open Door, First up on the news, do you convert all access is here. What the heck is that you say? Well, it is a community that we have created using a tool. We didn't you know, program it all ourselves, but it allows some pretty fun things to happen. It's essentially a private community where you can ask a question start a poll, post an image, get feedback. It also allows us to go live. We can have private webinars, private hangouts. You can see all of the other members by their role in the community. You know, are they a marketer, online sales, an owner? There's protected spaces. So one example would be, you know, we can have a space. There's a space already for the podcast where people want to talk about a particular episode or suggest a guest, et cetera. But there's also going to be one for um, online sales and online sales managers and marketers and you know different levels, so that you can have private, protected conversations where you're not having to worry about your boss being in that same community. Uh, Also, events we can post um, detailed events. You'll be able to post your own events if you want to have your own market proof marketing meetup like we're going to do here in Columbus, Ohio. So anyone who listens to the pod who wants to get together for breakfast or whatever on a random date. We can put that in there. Uh, It has its own app. You can chat with people. You can start your own separate threads. I don't know what you can't do in there, but we'll let you know if you try it and we'll say no. But yeah, so check that out. It is completely free. That was a quick question when we we teased it in the group is like, are you gonna charge for this? This is not not a subscription service of any kind. It is 100% free. So check that out or link in the show notes or go to com to access that. Yeah, it will be fun. And I think that's the other thing is there's there's things that we don't want to talk about that you know everyone has to have context and we don't want something taken out of context. And so there's there'll be ability to have discussions in there that we we wouldn't have even on the podcast. The podcast is kind of anything is fair game. But if we want to pontificate about something that might be controversial, it's the place to do it is is in that private community. So check it out. Also market proof marketing Academy reached out to the hotel. We have, we sold out and then we have additional three tickets available. So that's going to be it. Absolute maximum. Uh, So as I, we are recording on October, is it lucky 13? Yeah. October Mm -hmm. 13th. Mm -hmm. um, There are three tickets available, but I do not expect those to last very long. So again, check that link out in the show notes. And our first article comes from marketingbrew.com. Advertisers are split on whether they'll spend less in 2023, according to the survey. That was actually one of the first polls I put in all access community group as well is what do you think your next year's budget is going to look like? Because we're just now starting to get that question from folks about what should I be doing? What are your key takeaways here?
2: Yeah, I'm not surprised that other advertisers are split too. I mean, I think it's hard for anybody right now in this economy to kind of look into the future and all have the same conclusions because we don't know. They don't know either. So it feels familiar. (laughs) Also, it talked about in this article about advertisers wanting flexibility. You know, they're doing less things that take a long-term commitment. And Mm -hmm. I'd say that's definitely... You know, for us as builders too, you don't want to sign a contract, have any advertising that's going to be the same thing for all next year. Cause you mean like knows. locking
0: in four billboards for the next 12 months? Is that yes, what you're talking about? Yes. That, that would
2: be an example of that. So yeah, that seems <laughs> familiar too.
0: <laughs> when you she says they're split, the article says 41% of advertisers pulled expected to maintain their budgets going into 2023. 29% said they expect a decrease, and 29% said they expect an increase. Also, in the article, 28% of respondents said they'll increase their share of performance advertising. That's code for advertising that gets sales, direct sales. I'm not trying to be coy. 21% said they'll increase their share of brand advertising. So that's you know building the brand for long-term return on your investment. When asked about specific channels, 63% said they expect to decrease their spend in what's that word? (laughs) Print? Print. Does that mean business card? What does that mean? Print. (laughs) 63. (laughs) And we, are we still decreasing from print? Is there something left there? Actually, (laughs) this could be a terrible question we have to edit out. Are we aware of any of our builders who are spending significant amounts of money in print advertising?
1: No, but they also work with us.
0: They also probably wouldn't tell me. So yeah,
2: Yeah. uh, they keep it a secret if they do. (laughs) Until I see their budget
0: file for next year. And I'm like, hey, when you said you didn't have money to do that thing. (laughs) Is it because you were still buying Sunday newspaper ads? 59% said they decreased spend in linear TV. And 46% said they expect to decrease spend in radio. So these are big, giant, brands is you know they only surveyed 43 advertisers but collectively those 43 advertisers each spend over a billion dollars in advertising the year so yeah so let us know that'll be this week's question of the week do you expect your budget next year to be increased decreased the same or my favorite what is this budget you speak of they tell me just Mm -hmm. to spend the money that i need to spend which we are not a fan of From TechCrunch, it's painful how hell-bent Mark Zuckerberg is on convincing us that VR is a thing. So there's a new Quest Pro VR something headset, which, to be fair, it's my job. I I will have to buy it, and I'll let you know what happens. I had to get rid of my Quest uh, that I had before because the kids would break into my office after I was done working just to find where I'd hid it. They were so obsessed with VR, but this device is going to be AR and VR capable. It's better balanced for your head, but that the article is not really about the device, which I think could be cool. We can talk about that if we want to later. Not, it won't be cool right now, but it is. It is showing to me the future of what this really could be when it comes to the AR front. But the presentation was some of the. I don't know if either one of you saw any of this, but. You you could, if you wanted to, convince yourself that the entire, I think it's one hour and 20 minutes or longer, is an artificial intelligence representation of Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, he has to have gone through so much coaching at this point on how to talk and present, but he is just unhelpable. I would have to say, at this point. And it's obviously recorded, but every time he interacts with someone, they're like, okay, Mark, well, I'm going to go now. Like they just hit, ran into each other in the hallway with you know these 4K cameras, and artificial backgrounds just happened to be there, I don't know, the whole thing was just not good. But the big announcement that I don't think anyone's talking about is Meta is now partnering with Microsoft, and that is a big deal because one, Meta doesn't have a great, I mean, it kind of the company has a stink on it right now, and Microsoft, generally speaking, does not. Satya, who's the CEO of Microsoft, is one of the most well-respected CEOs in the world, let alone Silicon Valley. Mark Zuckerberg, like they're like, wow, he did some cool stuff, but doesn't have the same reputation. So Microsoft is is partnering with Meta to allow all of the Microsoft 365 products to be usable in VR and AR. Both and so teams will be integrated into this service you'll be able to use teams in horizon which is the the world that that uh, meta is creating and you'll also be able to use horizon within teams so just the mere fact that microsoft is on board here either means that that mark zuckerberg backed up the, a couple billion dollars and just said please show up on this so that i have someone respectable to stand next to or even though there's a lot of skepticism, people believe that this product is going to be uh, not, not necessarily revolutionary, but point towards the future. Because Microsoft also has their own AR headset called the HoloLens, which they've put put hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, into developing. And so it's it's just pretty surprising that they would want to partner with Meta on this. So I think that's the biggest takeaway. And I'll let you know more about the headset when I get mine. I think it comes out on October 25th.
2: Yeah, I agree that, I mean, them being part of it shows that it is going to be something in the future and it's worth paying attention to. I think they're doing a terrible job of communicating to the masses. I am the masses because I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not into all this stuff. They're doing a terrible job marketing and communicating this. So that's what, I mean, I believe it. I see it. It's going to happen. It's in the future. What it looks like, who knows? I'm clueless. Right.
1: (laughs) And they're not, they're not telling me. Yeah. And how is it applicable in both business and social? So I think that's the picture that us, the masses, we're we're missing that.
0: Yeah. And and again, that's where in the demos that they give the AR stuff, there's a a scene where someone sits down at a desk and they put on the headset and suddenly they're, they're using their actual keyboard, their actual mouse, they're sitting in, in the desk but where they might have only had a twenty inch monitor sitting in front of them, they now had three giant screens. And that they, they could still see the desk, see the keyboard, see everything. And that 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 type of example of if if it works, but this goes back to the hype cycle, which I haven't talked about in a couple of years, I don't think, but generally speaking, it's on the second or third kind of hype cycle of an idea that it actually starts getting integrated. And so VR is probably on its third cycle right now of it's going to be awesome. No, it sucks. It's going to be awesome. No, it sucks. (laughs) So we're about due for some innovation and innovations always eventually come, you know, it's just a slow, it's a slower process and suddenly a lot of things change, but there there's also someone who edited like a 10 minute version of the hour and 20 minutes. That's probably the one you should watch. (laughs) That Um,
2: sounds better. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Next up from digiday.com. Why mass marketing will not work on Gen Z. And um, basically research finds that mass marketing is unlikely to work for Gen Z, which tends to reject mainstream pop culture and embrace niche cultures. And those trends are moving faster than ever before. This kind of reminds me of my conversation with Spencer Raskoff last year, where he talked about vertical social networks. And he used the example of Strava. If you're a runner or a biker, that app doesn't just track your stuff. You remember when people used to, I ran today and it was all over Facebook and then all over Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then you realize this isn't whatever my whole audience wants to see. So I'm going to go find a, a niche network but that is encouraged, not just that they don't get annoyed by it, but that's what they're there for. I'm part of Recon Food, which is his daughter's company. And when I post something on there and use hashtag team pancake, like 15 people within an hour or two like it, right? Because those, those are my people. That's where they go to talk about pancakes. So it makes perfect sense to me.
2: Yeah. And I see it with a, I mean, I have a 14 year old, so I guess he's on the bottom end of Gen Z. And I see it like he, he's obsessed with World War II. When I was 14, we were all watching the same TV shows. We were all, you know, talking about the same movies, wearing the same stuff, but he has very niche interests the same way. So I see how it can be harder, especially for these bigger brands to pin down this generation in one, in one place.
1: Well, if you think about it, us growing up, we were in the kind of forefront of the information bloom. And these guys have grown up with, you can have anything you want, wherever, and they have much better skills to curate what their interests are and find that content. Whereas we're just kind of used to having it delivered to us and, and maybe aren't as skill that's sifting through it.
0: Yeah. I I also think that, you know, the stuff that does still hit mainstream becomes even more valuable. So that's just always the counterpoint there is when something is more scarce, it becomes more valuable. So when a show like the Mandalorian or whatever becomes part of the zeitgeist, the value there is huge. It's just Mm -hmm. a little bit more rare. I mean, there are people right now who are just starting to watch Game of Thrones. Over time, if someone watches the entire season, I forget how many seasons there are. If you watch all eight, nine seasons of Game of Thrones, when you interact with someone else who has seen all those seasons, there's still a collective shared experience there. It's just not happening at the same time. So I think the other thing that it might take away from it is, is that while the actual content may be different. The mediums that we're using to consume them is still a commonality. So even though the videos that someone may be watching on TikTok or Reels is unique to them, they still, 15 years from now, people would be like, "Remember when TikTok came out and it went crazy?" So there are still shared experiences. It's just not necessarily at the content level. It's kind of gone up one level to the platforms mm-hmm. uh, or the or the medium that they're doing it. Yeah. Some other interesting points from the article talk about 64% of Gen Z consumers want personalized experiences from brands. Here's the funny thing about personalized experiences. They're not really that personal. I remember one of the best salespeople that I interacted with, he said, I used to always like to play a game with my customers. Because he worked for a builder where they were responsible for all of the interior selections after they sold the home. And so at the beginning of their design appointment with him, after he'd already sold them the house, he would say, let's play a little game. I'm going to write down on a piece of paper now that we've, I know so much about you from working with you uh, to, to design your home, what selections you're going to want. And then he would flip it over and they would say it and he would be like, yep, 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 yep. Because guess what? You want a white kitchen. Guess what? You want you know this or that. So our preferences aren't all that unique. So I think that's just something interesting to think about as you're, as you're considering, how do we apply this? Curating is not as hard as you might think it is in many cases. Sometimes it's really hard, but it doesn't always have to be hard. And it doesn't always have to be like a niche within a niche necessarily. All right. I think we got one more. Oh yeah. This is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this happened, (laughs) this happened today, as far as I know, but Google Data Studio, I was on a call, and I pull it up to to show something, and in the top left corner of the screen, it says Looker Studio. Looker with an L. I'm not talking about hookers. I'm not talking about stalkers or creepy folks, but Looker Studio. So searchengineland.com. Google's Data Studio, now known as Looker Studio. Google in their infinite wisdom has renamed the popular analytics and data platform uh, with this complete enterprise business intelligence suite. We will help you go beyond dashboards and infuse your workflows and applications, blah, 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 blah. My response in our Slack group was like, is today April 1st? Is this a joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. It's gotta be one of the worst. It's just terrible.
1: I yeah. want to sit. I want to sit in on that meeting and know what was going around as they were pitching this and other names.
0: Yeah, I mean, even Google Look would have made more sense. Like, we're trying to become the verb of, I want to look at that data. Okay, great, let's use Google Look. But Looker? Is that even, you know, let's just see, is that a word? Maybe and it's I supposed think they to be Google Look.
2: Another, another product and merged it in, but I don't know why they chose to merge the name. In. It's terrible.
0: Oh, I- you're right. Okay, so that maybe mm-hmm. that that's the. So yes, in 2019, the company Looker was acquired by Google. Uh, originally started in 2012, but really, maybe <laughs> that was part of the sale. Is we'll make your name <laughs> yeah. our name eventually.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's. Bad. I'm curious about. It says it's going to have a pro version. Which I wonder if those are or new tools that are getting added in, or are they going to make us pay for some tools that we're already using now in Data Studio for free?
0: Yeah, right. not clear, mm-hmm. but I would expect everyone get ready to pay up a, a little bit, something. Yep. Yep. A little bit of something. All right, that'll do it for this week. Remember a question of the week in the Facebook group, or it will also now be in DYC all access in the market proof marketing space. So check that out. And you can, Reminder: you can send in your questions or feedback on this episode or any other to show at doconvert.com. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm all sorts of mixed up. We end now with something called favorites. Ah, which if you didn't scroll down to the bottom of the show notes, you didn't see. So it can be a product, something you're watching, reading, anything in your life that is something you just are really enjoying and getting a lot out of. And you're like, well, this is hard because I can't say a show because Kevin just said, if you watch shows, you're lazy. (laughs) What are we going to talk about? (laughs) I've got one. All right, go.
1: It's the Lumi Pet. It's actually for my toddler i like to decorate for halloween and we have big inflatables one's Mm -hmm. a witch one's a ghost both have terrified my poor little (laughs) toddler to nightmares so in hopes of sleeping through the night i looked at night lights and a looming pet popped up and it is a soft silicone pet in a shape of an animal and it lights up okay does
0: it have a timer on it is it like to help them go to sleep at night Yes,
1: it's yeah. So it's a nightlight, but it will rotate through different colors. You can change settings. It's got a remote so you can turn off from the doorway. Once they've fallen asleep, if they wake back up, they can turn it back on.
0: So There you go. Yeah, I've seen
1: these. These are cute. They're like LED
2: nightlights. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Julie, you got anything?
2: I have one that's food. So Maybe I just have found these and they've just been out. But you know that there's Kind Bar, the granola bars, the granola bars called Kind Bars. Mm -hmm. Now there's Kind Frozen. Have you all had the Kind Frozen Mm. that are like little ice cream bars? Mm -hmm. And there's mint and there's peanut butter and they're healthy-ish. I wouldn't say they're healthy, healthy, but they're a Kind Bar. So they're more healthy. They remind me of like a Snickers, a frozen Snickers ice cream bar, but they're healthier. Mm -hmm. So Kind Frozen is mine.
0: There you go. Nice. Mine is the pumpkin pancake mix from Trader Joe's. Oh, that is good. Now, this is very important. Pay attention, everyone. You're going to take the Krusty's sweet cream pancake mix, and you're going to mix half and half the Trader Joe's pumpkin pancake mix with the Krusty's sweet cream pancake mix. Because the problem with any pumpkin spice pancake mix is that (laughs) it's very spicy, It's light on the pumpkin, heavy on the spice, because I guess dehydrated pumpkin flavor is hard to pull off in a a pancake. So it just makes the perfect uh, amount of pumpkin flavor, not overpowering. Kids love it. They've never been a fan of any pumpkin pancakes I've made before. No, you don't have to use mixes. You can use, well, the absolute all-time favorite, people have asked me this, is the Betty Crocker, original Betty Crocker pancake mix not mix recipe from the original book with buttermilk. That's the way to go. So you can use that and mix some uh, pancake or pumpkin flavoring in there too. But that is, that is my favorite. And then my, my final favorite is already um, DYC all access. We've got people hopping in. We put it in the Facebook group, the, the Facebook group will be around, but the content that we post there will slowly transition over here just because it's a better environment for all of us. So all right, that'll do it. We'll see you all next week.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: Marketproof marketing is proudly supported by Open Door. Visit opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn how you can partner with Open Door to increase certainty, speed, and ease for your home buyers. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peak, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. View hundreds of articles, videos, and more for free at do youconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on social networks or in real life. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof.